Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor of Grace Point Church. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for, uh, for being here. Thank you, worship team, for starting and stopping. Uh, we're grateful for that uh, and for leading us so well as you do in worship. Um, and some really, really powerful words we just used. And uh, we continue to hope that they continue to grow in us to be true of us about the greatness of our God, right? Woo! Right? Yeah, I mean, the, the power of our God and, and, uh, and his might and his presence and his eternality and our worship of him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amazing stuff that we, we sing about. Hey, well, you found your way this morning to the beginning of a brand new series that we're calling Blind Spots, Severing Dangerous Assumptions Behind Our Daily Decisions. And um, I'm excited about this series because uh, we have a chance, if we are able, to kind of pull back from... The, the pressure of day-to-day living and look underneath the surface of what are some assumptions that we have about our lives that kind of drive our daily decisions that we don't always see that will impact a lifetime. If it's true that a lifetime is made up of days, then today is important, right? If it's true that a lifetime is made up of days, then the decisions that you make today are affecting your lifetime, right? And so the assumptions behind those decisions that you're making today are also equally important, especially the assumptions that you can't verbalize because they are shaping your lifetime, okay? So I'm going to turn into a math teacher for a minute to try to drive this point home because here's the hard part with with blind spots and assumptions. We don't think we have assumptions or blind spots or else we wouldn't have them, right? We don't think we have assumptions. We just think that we're right. Like, I don't have assumptions about you, or I don't have assumptions about people. I just think that my way of seeing the world is right, and yours is not. I mean, that, that's right, right? Like, I don't think that I'm really a critical person. I just think people don't really do the kind of work that I do, right? I don't think that people are not showing up on time, and that means that they're lazy. It just means that they're wrong, and I'm right. I mean, I don't have assumptions. I'm just right about how to handle money. I'm just right about how to handle worship. I'm just right about how to handle relationships, and I'm just right about how to pursue my career and where I'm going. I don't have assumptions about all that. I'm just right. Well, I want you to do something with me, a little, little fun deal. Um, I'd like you in your head now, this is for everybody who's remaining, if you're K through third grade, I think you're gone now, but fourth grade and up, I think, can play this game with us. And so I'm going to put on a little math teacher hat for a moment. I need you to work with me on this, okay? Uh, we're going to do some work, and here's what it is. I, I need you to add some numbers as I lay them out to you, okay? Ready? We're going to start with 1,000. Good? Good. We're going to add to that 40. Add 1,000. Add 30. Add 1,000. Add 20. Add 1,000. And add 10. Okay, where are we at? You're all wrong. We're not at 5,000. Let me do this again. 1,000. 40. 1,000. 30. Where are we at? 2,070. 1,000. 3,070, 20, 3,090, 1,000, 4,090, 10, 4,100, right? Our assumptions about how to add are based on a base 10 
system of thinking, right? When we have confidence in our assumptions, it can be very helpful and it can also be very wrong, right? Our assumptions underneath how we make decisions drive what we do. And here's the hard part for us. We don't even see them or else we wouldn't even be calling them blind spots, right? 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 Isn't that cool? You're going to do that now with your friends and family, and you're going to feel smart because of that, right? <laughs> Don't forget those numbers, 1,000, 40, 30, 20, 10. It sets you up to think about how you add. And this is the deal for real life, that when we look at blind spots, we have these assumptions about how we process information. And those assumptions, we just think, are intuitively right. They're helpful. And in this series, we're going to look at a variety of assumptions. We're going to look at how we, our assumptions about life and death, our assumptions about money, our assumptions about time, our assumptions about relationships, our assumptions about influence, our assumptions about dreaming, and our assumptions about change. Okay, we're going to look at those in this seven-part series together. This morning, as we begin, um, we're going to begin thinking about our assumptions about life and death. And I want to tell you the story, many of you know it, but of Carla Tennant. Uh, Many of you know Carla died, uh, boy, about a month ago now, if I'm not mistaken. But Carla lived in a home just about 200 steps from here, something like that. And it was about maybe nine months ago that that Dennis Groff, the township supervisor, called us, called me and said, Tim, is there any way the church can help? We need to think about this elderly woman who has cancer um, and her home. We need to either condemn it or fix it. And we're hoping that the church and others around the community can fix it. So let's get together and let's figure it out. And so, as to make a long story short, we connected with the factory, we connected with Keystone Church, we connected with Impact Ministries, the Office of Aging, as well as the Lancaster Redevelopment Authority in the township. Yeah, it's a lot of people to bring to the party. We, we came together, we found the money, found the resources, people volunteered. Many of you were involved hands-on in cleaning up her place, right? You were helping to eliminate things and eliminate things. Some of you helped in housing her and all that. We were involved in a variety of ways with Carla. Incredible woman, um, strong woman, and I remember, and here's, here's why I tell the story. I remember the day um, when I got the call, it was a Tuesday morning, um, her son Rick had called me in my office Monday evening, left a message, and I pressed play on my voicemail Tuesday morning when I got here, and I heard him say, um, hey, you know, Pastor Tim, this is Rick, I just wanted you to know my mom passed away last night. What? <laughs> what? Because we had been working for what felt like forever to get her back into her home. We had renovated it. We had put money into it. There were people that morning over there. So Pastor Joel and I, along with Chuck Holt, director of the Factory Ministries, we walked across the street to Carla's house and we basically delivered the news to the Impact Ministries team who was working there. One guy was in the bathroom. Um, the other guy was kind of administrating the oversight of the, the project. We said to them, guys, I'm sorry. And here they were, like, drill in hand, literally. I said, guys, I'm sorry to tell you this, but Carla's gone. And there was just this, this emptiness, this hollowness that came. Like, are you, like we're, we're almost done. In fact, the guy, Matt Beeks, who runs Impact, said, I was going to call her today to tell her she can move in next week. We had gotten so close to the finish line. And I look at Carla's life and this situation, and I too felt that. Are you kidding me? Like, we're almost done. Like, the, our plans were good the thought was right, and here we go, and we are 
now and and you know, I said to Matt it kind of like we took the life out of the project and he said yeah literally in this case the life is out of the project and we were left with a sense of emptiness and Carla's situation that scenario sparked within me this uh, response like there are some things that we assume about life that when something like that happens it kind of awakens us to realize my assumptions about life and death aren't really true and here's the assumption that I think we have and here's the blind spot that I want to talk about today the first blind spot is this assumption and really brought out in Carla's life and then really her, her death and that is this assumption that I will have more time later to get my house in order I will have more time later to get my house in order here's blind spot number one related to life and death that there is this assumption that we have it's not verbalized but we make daily decisions based on this assumption there will be time later to get my house in order meaning there will be time later to resolve that argument I have but right now is not the time there will be time later when I will stop trying to make so much money and I can enjoy my family and my life there will be time later for me to make things right with my wife and with my husband I will get to that but it will come later there will be time when I can set myself up financially but that will come later there will be time for me to get my house in order before I die it's almost this intuitive right we feel that we can organize our life right so that when we die and we all know we're going to die that we can kind of die according to our terms and our way there's this assumption that I will have more time later to get my house in order to be the kind of person that I really kind of want to be I'm not there yet but don't worry there's time there's always time there's more time well, I do today what you can put off till tomorrow, right? I think that's in the Bible somewhere, maybe not. Well, I do today what you can put off till tomorrow, and so let's just do it tomorrow. I mean, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that issue later. And here's what we think of in our culture. We tend to value people who are forward thinkers, right? We even use that terminology positively to speak to people. He's a forward thinker. She's a forward thinker. They're thinking ahead of what is to come, of their life that is to come, of all the life that is yet ahead of them. They're thinking of where they're going to go to school to set themselves up for the future. They're thinking of the kind of family they want to have to set themselves up for the future. They're thinking of the kind of how many kids they want to have, whether they want to get married or not, what kind of business they want to get into to set themselves up for the future. They're really forward thinking, and we use that well because the assumption is there will be time. There will be time later. And if you think about your later and think about your future, you're a forward thinker and we honor that because we celebrate what is to come more than what was in the past. And here's what we run into as we pause to think about this assumption. I will have more time later to get my house in order. Now what if, what if that assumption, what if that assumption is kind of like our assumption about adding base 10? What if that assumption is fundamentally wrong? And here's the hard thing about blind spots again you don't see them and I don't either in fact you you were confident when you yelled out 5,000 that you were right right and how hard was that silly little math problem you were right it was 5,000 except for the fact that you were wrong that it wasn't because your assumptions led you into that and what if what if our assumptions 
about, I will have more time later, are dead wrong as well. And here's what I, I need from you in this series. Here's what I'm going to try to do. What I'm, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to communicate to you as, as creatively and clearly as I can these seven different blind spots. Okay? They're, not, um, they're not comprehensive, but I think they're very important. But I, what I'm wanting from you is to do this. In the course of the week, as you think about, man, I think I'm going to be in church on Sunday. When you, whenever you think about church on Sunday, and it might only be on the drive here or when you set your alarm Saturday morning or it might be during the course of the week, I just want you to, to pray and ask God this one question or make this statement to him, if you will. I just want you to pray. Whenever you think about Grace Point Church in the week, I just want you to pray and say, God, I don't know if I have any blind spots, but will you please show me if I do? That's all I want. If you can come with that request to God already laid out, then I think we're in business. This is hard work for all of us. We can't see the things that our decisions are made on, especially the blind spots. No matter how creative, engaging, whatever a speaker is, they can't get to the heart without the Spirit of God getting there. So I'm just asking for your help in that, that whenever you think about Grace Point Church and the message series and all that, if you would simply ask and say to God, God, I don't know if I have any blind spots, but if I do, would you please show me what they are, okay? My hope for this series is that there can be at least one thing in your life, one thing, out of all these seven that you will say, man, I need to rethink. I need to rethink this. I need to rethink that. And then, if that happens, if the assumption changes on any of these things we're talking about, that, in my mind, will change your entire life. It'll change your entire lifetime. If your assumptions about your daily decisions change, your entire lifetime will also change, okay? This morning, as we think about, I will have more time later to get my house in order. I'm suggesting that this is fundamentally flawed, but we make decisions based on this. So I want to take you to a passage in Scripture where God is going to kind of turn that thing on its head and challenge us to think about this reality. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Strange little book, if you will. Um, It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you, in the pew near you. It's the red book. And here's the easiest way to find Ecclesiastes. Just ask your neighbor. Where, where, is, where is this book? I have no idea. If that doesn't work or you feel inferior doing that, then you can go to Psalms. It's in the middle of the Bible, basically, and then keep going to your right. You'll find Proverbs, and then after Proverbs, you'll find Ecclesiastes, okay? Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, just so you know, you can park it for a minute on chapter 6. Ecclesiastes is written by um, a man named Solomon who, uh, if you know the story at all, he's, um, we believe, one of the, the second, if you will, second wisest man ever to walk the planet. I'd say Jesus is probably the first. Then I might give the nod to Solomon after that. An incredibly wise man who asked for wisdom from God when, when offered anything. So Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of morbid, to be honest. It's kind of depressing if you read through Ecclesiastes. Don't do it when you're in a bad mood or discouraged or feel like giving up on something. Um, there's still, this is still the inspired word of God, I believe. There's a, a tremendous amount of truth and very uh, practical help within Ecclesiastes. But here's where Solomon is at. He's, he's already written the first five and a half chapters, and we're going to pick it up at the end of chapter six. So you need to know what happens at the beginning, because he doesn't just start at chapter six. Solomon has basically said in the first five and a half chapters, um, I have tried everything I know of to find meaning in life. I, I've tried everything, I, I, and literally everything, okay? I've tried money. Now, Imagine that. You have all the money you ever need to get anything you ever want. 
Just let that, let that sink in for a minute. What if you could buy it now? Whatever it is. You could, you could pay for your house now. You could pay for your college education now. You could pay for everyone's college education now. You could get the new whatever now. I mean, you, if money weren't an issue, okay, how fulfilling would that be, quote unquote, right? Solomon has all the money he needs, okay? He's, he's tried the money route. He has tried the women route as well. He has had all the women he could possibly have, okay? We may not like to think about that reality for Solomon, but that is true for him. He has had all the women. So if we think, you know, belonging to another woman or whatever, that's going to be really appealing. Solomon has, has had all the women he could possibly have, not fulfilling. He has partied, okay? He has, he's partied. He's partied not just for a night or a couple of days. He has thrown months-long parties, okay? And he didn't just serve grape juice. I mean, I'm just, and it was not just soda that he served. I mean, we were talking parties that Solomon threw. He tried feasting and the festivities and all that come along with that, not just for a week or two, but for months. Talk about drawn out, months, okay? He's tried, he's tried everything that we can think of, that we turn to when we think of, I just want to find meaning, I want to find some relief, some escape in this world, in this life. This is what, he's been down the road, okay? And now he says, in chapter 6, verse 12, he finally asks this question. After all that he has said about life and it's meaningless, he says this, for who knows what is good for a man in life? During the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow. Who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone? He has seen the righteous die young and the the wicked live long. He has seen the righteous, if you will, uh, make no money and live in poverty. And he's seen people who are unscrupulous, who are unethical, who, who cut corners and cheat and lie, make a ton of money. He's seen people who leave an inheritance for their children only to have it squandered. All the work of their hands is gone in a matter of months or years because you leave your money for your your kids and they're they're foolish with it and it's gone. And he's looked at all this and he said, come on, what is good? What is fair? What is good in all of this life? Come on, what, what is good? That's the question. What is good in this life? And then... Solomon stops writing verse 12 of chapter 6 and he decides, I'm going to put a new chapter in my little letter here. Actually, Solomon doesn't do that. In case you don't know that, history, these chapter markers were added later in the course of human history to help us, people like us, know where to find parts of the Bible. And so Solomon, in his writing, is not thinking about chapter or verse or anything else. He's just continuing from the end of the sentence to the next one. And the next sentence is chapter 7, verse 1, and here's his immediate answer. The question is, okay, after all these things, what's good in this life? I mean, what, what is good? I've tried money, I've tried women, I've tried parties, I, I've seen all kinds of injustice go on, and what is good? And then he says in chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of life and birth better than the day of death. Is that what your text reads? 
Let's read that again. And the day of what? The day of death. The day of death. What's the next word? Better. Better than the day of what? The day of death is better. Is better than the day of birth. A good name is more valuable than great riches, than fine perfume. In his time, this is one way to stockpile your wealth is in perfumes, in, in smelly stuff, okay? There weren't really the, the bank accounts as we know it today, um, so stockpiling in the stock market wasn't really an option. Um, the amount of perfumes that you had were a way to show your wealth, kind of like today, the number of homes you have or cars you have or the type that you have would be a way that we show our wealth, perhaps. This is a way then. He's saying, after all that is said and done, a good name is better than great riches. In other words, your reputation, your reputation is the most important thing that you can think about while you're here. More than the things that you will ever accumulate. That your reputation, who you are, and how people think of you when they think of you and me, is more important and of greater value than anything that you will ever accumulate. And then he says, just to drive this point home, the day of death is, and say this with me, is better than the day of birth. Let's say that again. The day of death is better than the day of birth. But we don't really think that way, do we? I mean, come on. Someone has a kid, and what do we do? We celebrate with them. I mean, we're going to provide meals for them for, for weeks. We're going to hold that little baby when, when he or she comes to our home or, or here. You know, we can't wait to, to hold a little infant. Why? Because all of life is ahead of them. What an opportunity. All of life is ahead of them. And we celebrate that. The day of birth is an awesome awesome day, a time to celebrate. And the day of death, when we see somebody who has a, a kid, we, we just congratulate them. We see someone who lost a loved one, we don't know what to say to you. We don't know how to mourn with you. I'm kind of lost as to what do I do here. I don't throw you a, a party. I don't prepare meals for you for weeks uh, on out. I, I don't do that. The day of death, Solomon, wise man, says, is better, is better than the day of birth, the day of death. And what in the world does he mean? The day of death is better than the day of birth. What does this guy mean? Clearly he can't mean that. Clearly he can't mean maybe we should celebrate death. That's not where he's going. Maybe we should flip it around and have parties and cakes and all that at funerals. That's not appropriate. It's not helpful. It doesn't help people process life and death. But there's something behind this statement that challenges this assumption that I will have more time later to get my house in order. And he explains a little bit more in verse 2. He says, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. And then what's that last phrase? Let's read that together. The living should take this to heart. The living should take this to heart, that death is the destiny of every man. Death is the destiny of every man. And that the day of death is better than the day of birth. 
Now, why does he say that? The day of death is better than the day of birth. Solomon is laying out to us this reality that as we think of the day of death and as we think about the end, the end puts the middle and the beginning in perspective. The end puts the middle and the beginning in perspective. In fact, the end tells us what we should do in the middle and the beginning. It's kind of like, how many of you ever read a, a good book, a good novel, a good nonfiction or, or fiction novel? I mean, just enjoyed reading something. How many of you have ever read a book? Let's start there. Some of you read, okay. Read a good book, right? You know the sensation, okay? You can't help, okay, let's talk about a page turner for a minute. You can't help but keep going with a page turner, right? You just enjoy getting there. And, and let me ask you this. What happens? At the end of a good book, the book is really, really good all the way through. And then at the end, like the last chapter, or the chapter before the last, if the last chapter is not really the conclusion, but at the, if you will, the catharsis or the, the French term, right? The, the denouement of the, of the novel, that moment where climax happens and the, all of this comes together. You're going to use that term later, I can tell you. You're going to use that. But all this comes together. And there finally everything is resolved. And it's at the end of the novel. How do you feel? That was good. That was a good book. Why? Not because the beginning started well. What do you remember? The end. I remember how it finished. And you know this too. If the book ends badly, you're like, this is a stupid book. I mean, everything was good until then and I would never recommend this book to anybody because that's such a dumb ending I can't believe that she did and he did and they didn't and they couldn't find and whatever I can't believe that everything was good but then I get to the end and if the end is bad it's a bad book and if the end is good wow that is a good book because everything that happens from the beginning through the middle makes sense at the end and the day of the end is better than the day of the beginning is what Solomon is saying that the day of death is better than the day of birth because if your day of death is one where people will say wow that finished well then everything in your life will fit into that and a good name in other words what they're saying is a good name your name has run well from the beginning to the middle and has come to the end and a good name is more valuable than anything else that you can ever pursue here in this earth. It's more valuable than the wealth, than the stuff, than the people. A good name is more valuable. So we talk about this blind spot. We also need to talk about a corrective. What is it that Solomon is saying here that can offer us a corrective for how we think about the days that we spend? And here's what I want to say. We talk about this idea that we're forward-thinking people. We value forward-thinking people who anticipate and plan and think ahead, okay? and rightly so. But let me suggest this, kind of play on words from that concept, that what I believe Solomon is saying here can be summarized this way, that forward-thinkers think backwards. If you want to be a forward-thinker, you want to think ahead of where you're going. Forward-thinkers think backwards. Forward-thinkers think about the end in order for the beginning and middle to make sense. Forward thinkers are the ones who are thinking not just of where I'm going now or next, but where I will end up. They think about the day of death more than they think about the day of birth. They realize that death is the end of all men and that the living should take this to mind. No matter how old or young you are, 
that the living should take this to mind. It is better to go to a funeral than a feast because it reminds you this is your destiny. In other words, is your life now fitting in to what you want people to say about you at your funeral? Are you building your name now or not? The day of death is better and the funeral is better. Why? Because it reminds us that I will not have more time later to get my house in order. I will not have more time later. I have the time now. And death can come calling any time. I will not have any more time later. Forward thinkers think backwards from their life. So let's push on this a little bit. Let's push on this past week for us. Let's push on the pursuits we had this past week. Heading to work. Trying to make just a little bit more money. And heading to work is not a bad thing, right? And if you don't provide for your family, you're, you're worse than, than, a, than, well, we'll call it a terrible person. Worse than someone who does. I mean, you're, you, it is godly and right to make a living. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pursuit of, I just need to kind of blindly make more money. Because the more money I make, kind of the better off I'll be. The, think about the pursuits you had this week in your relationships with people. Kind of a pushback to, boy, I don't know if, I know I have that unresolved conflict there with mom or dad or my, my wife, my husband, my kids. I, I can't deal with that now. I'm going to push that off to later. I'm not going to go there. Think of the pursuits we had this week um, going um, shopping, getting involved in your hobbies, um, really kind of driving after um, wanting people to like you for, for who you are. And here, here's where I'm going. As you think on, back on your week, that was, the way you spent your time. And I'm not, I'm not downing any of that. I'm not downing shopping. Okay, I'm not downing hobbies. I'm not downing all that. But here's what I want to know. Go back on your week. Would you want someone to kind of take that day and say, hey, at, at his funeral, I just want you to know he was a great shopper. That was awesome. And, and he, was, he was a great bike rider. What a great bike rider he was. Man, he was a, he was a great, he, he was really good at computers. He made, you know what, he made a lot of money. Did you know, and we're so proud of him for this, he had three cars. It was awesome. Did you know that, man, we're just, you know, we're, we're missing, you know, John, he's laying here in the casket. And we're just, it was awesome that he had a cabin that we could go to. We're just really grateful for that. And seriously, you ever been to a funeral like that? Talk about shallow. Talk about hollow. Are you kidding me? That's all you got? The guy was a good bike rider. The guy was a good shopper. The guy handled money. The guy had three houses or whatever. I mean, seriously, that's what we got? that all we have? Are you kidding me? We would never say that at a funeral. We would never say that. And yet we would do that with our days, right? And yet we would pursue those things with our days, right? Hmm. Here's where I want to push in a little bit. We've heard the question, and I think it's a, a good question. What would you want people to say about you at your funeral? If you've never heard that question, it's a good question to ask and answer. But I want to ask another question this morning, and that, that one is fair. I want to push that question a little bit further and basically ask this kind of question. And this is a question I'd like you to, to share with a spouse, a friend, um, a coworker, um, a child, or your parent um, today sometime. I'd like you to have this conversation or ask this question um, to one another. That is this. What three words would I want people to use to describe me at my funeral? What three words would I want people to use to describe me at my funeral? At the end of my life, at the conclusion of the book that's written about my life, the, the last chapter of my book, if you will, The Day of Death, what three words would I love people to say about me? What character qualities would I want people to, to qualify me as? What do I want someone to say? Not about what I've done or what I've achieved or what I've gotten, but what character qualities 
what three words, if I could choose, just choose three words, what three words would I want someone to use about me at my funeral? I'd like you to have that conversation. And I'll tell you what that does is it orients your world, it orients your plan for today based on that reality. If you want to first of all be known as someone who's a hard worker, makes more money, then please, by all means, continue to do that. If, if you want to be known as someone who delays conflict resolution and doesn't resolve, then please, by all means, do that. But none of us would ever want that. None of us would ever say that. None of us would ever say, man, I, I hope at my funeral someone says, he was just such a great passive-aggressive person. Awesome guy. Really, none of us would ever want that. We only want good things said, okay? A good name is of greater value than anything else we can accumulate. What three words would you want someone to say about you at your funeral? And then, the decisions you make, the time you spend, the people you see, the way you think about going to school or whatever, the way you parent, the way you handle the stressed-out coworker, right? Going into work and going to think about going to school and think about, man, okay, the way that I'm now going to interact in my week, I'm going to go to work and that lady is such a awesome person. That guy is always so friendly. You know, the way that I interact with the people around me who normally stress me out, asking the question, okay, come on now, is this going to matter later? Is this going to matter later? How is this contributing to the flow of my life to get to the end? Because you know and I know that what will matter in how you handle employees and people you work with and all that is not how you resolve that or if you win the argument or not, but how they were treated in the process of the issues that you're working through. And how you handle the dating relationships that you have is not about who wins and who loses, but again, how you treat one another through the process and what kind of person you demonstrate you are. Same thing for money and on down the line. So as we press into our week, you have three questions, three statements, three words. What are these three words for you that you would want people at the end of the day to say, this is me? And then those words kind of guide and direct okay, my behavior, at least, at least, at least, for one week. At least for one week. Okay, how about just for one day? Just for one day? Maybe just for one moment. But they direct my thinking, and they challenge an assumption, the assumption that I will have more time later to get things right within my life. Carla had no time later to get things right in her life. And you know people like Carla, who we might say, quote-unquote, died early or died prematurely. We would look and say, man, oh, if only they had had more time. In other words, we want, we assume that I will have more time to get things right. And Solomon is saying, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Let the living take that to heart while they still have the time. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom of Solomon to get under our assumptions that we will have more time later to do the things that we know we should do now. I pray that you would remind us as we pursue the things that we pursue not to get lost in the story of our lives, not to choose an adventure that's the wrong one, that moves away from 
this idea that a good name is more valuable than anything else that we can pursue here. I pray that you give us wisdom and insight to ask and answer that question, what three words would I want someone to say about me at my funeral, and then live in accordance to those priorities. We thank you, Father, that though we are constantly failing, we are constantly taking the wrong steps, that what covers us, if you will, what brings us together is your amazing grace, your amazing, forgiving, powerful, reaching grace that draws us to you, that reminds us that no matter our pursuits, no matter how far we might go one way or the other, that, that we have found a God and you have found us, if you will. You've drawn us to this place where we can be reminded that your grace reaches so far to us. And we're amazed, we're amazed by the power of that grace. And so I pray for us this morning that you give us the courage, the wisdom to know what to do with the things that are in our hearts and in our minds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.